they've only lost three, I think, or two out of their last, like, nine or ten games. Yeah, you and the Dodgers are both playing the yep. best baseball right now. So now you have these guys who are getting into a groove. You have some new guys on the field, yeah. some new guys on the mound. They're getting into a groove with each other. They're heading down the playoffs. Now you bring Lucas back, yeah. who's kind of, you know, rusty and in a sense. Well, you say how's how um, the clubhouse? Yeah, because it, it will it be an exciting thing to have him back, yeah. or will it be something that you have momentum going, and now you have another player in who hasn't been in for most of the year? Yeah, but you bring back experience. It's not like you're bringing back some guy who who hasn't really done much. And, 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 you know, you're bringing back Lucas Duda, who's who you experienced last year. You know, he knows what it's like to win and play at a high level. So getting someone back like that, I think, is good. I, I don't, I don't see how he can really damage any chemistry that's going on there. And he's been, we've seen him in the dugout, so we know that he's been kind of hanging out with these guys on and off the field all, all throughout this process. So I, I imagine it won't be a big deal. He's just been a big cheerleader for the past couple months, and I assume that they're all going to cheer for him when he comes back, just kind of return the favor. I, I imagine it would be a lot more of a good thing than detrimental. To see what happens with him, and like you said, with David, yeah. and uh, considering that we have this whole mess of players that are out this yeah. year for one one reason or another, it's nice to see somebody actually return to the lineup. Yeah, so, living by the long ball still. Yeah. I can't believe 53% of your runs scored this year could come by the long ball. I saw that set uh, yesterday, day before, I was just like, my God. Yeah, yesterday's That's game was fun. Yeah. Like the first Homer's pitch first of, the first of the game, like just <laughs> Boom, gone. Yeah, right. You know, that, that, that was fun. And you had another one, too. Yep. I, 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 Jose Reyes can do that. I, I, you know, he can go over five and he can go three to five. The, the triple and two home runs. He's so up and down. But, of course, yep. uh, the big the big story tonight is football is back on the air tonight. Carolina, Denver, the Super Bowl rematch. Carolina's three-point favorites going into Denver, of course, because Denver doesn't have a quarterback. There is no Peyton Manning over there. And uh, they actually, I still haven't even decided. He's I guess, too busy making cupcakes. Yeah, and commercials, and yeah, he's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Peyton Manning and commercials is uh, classic stuff. And uh, yeah, so yeah, Carolina by three tonight. Hard not to like that. Uh, what's Denver going to do against Carolina? This is not the same Denver team that won that Super Bowl last year. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Carolina, I mean, when you're favored in Denver like that, that tells you something, too. Uh, I think that total is about 41, 42, somewhere in there. Uh, Major League Fantasy Sports Radio Show coming up on Sunday morning again. Of course, anybody who's been here at Sports Blues knows for the past two seasons we've done it here. And now uh, Corey kind of lined up his own thing, and I'm going to be hosting on their network now. So uh, stay tuned for that. Check out my EJ, the Rainmaker, on Twitter feed, and I'll give everybody a little link to that. And, uh, of course, Eric and I, we, I hopefully we're going to be starting our college football show tomorrow, which is uh, a lot. It's a lot to do. We tried to do it last week, but things just didn't work out. We tried so hard. Uh, didn't work out. What can you do? New York Cosmos, of course, play this Saturday against Minnesota at Short Stadium. It's Military Appreciation Night, by the way. And uh, $10 tickets for Cosmos games. It's pretty nice. And, uh, yeah. Plus, I want to remind everybody, when he's talking about podcasts, we also have the Into the Cosmos podcast. So if you're a soccer fan or a Cosmos fan or both, um, you can, you know, tune in every Wednesday. Yeah. And EJ and Frank host Into the Cosmos right here on Sports Blues Radio. Yeah, we have fun doing that. We had Alexis Valella on this week. He made his professional debut with the Cosmos last weekend. And nothing, nothing draw it for Lauderdale. So it's cool to have him on. An 18-year-old kid. And it's amazing. His kid's already played in Italy. He's already played in Mexico. He's already played all over the place. We were talking about the... <laughs> you know what? What, are, what are his favorite places to be, and uh, of course he chose Italy. You know that. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, a lot going on. I mean, you know, between baseball now the NFL starts, college football is really now it's week two, and here we go. I mean, it's it's time now. So yeah, but sports is good. It's good, 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 good month to be a sportsman in September. I like it. So how did you like the first weekend in college sports? Oh, I was great. College I, football. I loved it. I know I did really well with my picks, and that uh, that certainly makes it nicer. <laughs> Eric did okay, too. Of course, Eric and I have been doing this for a long time. And, uh, you want to tell everybody how, how much how many hours we spent on the phone on Saturday? Here, let me tell you. So, Saturday morning, yeah, you cannot count that high. Saturday morning, they have college game day on ESPN. And that ends at noon with, uh, you know, Lee Corso putting on the head gear, making his pick. And, uh, of course, he lost his opening thing because he always loses. <laughs> uh, he said he was 6-12 and 12 on the air last week uh, when, it, when it pertained to last year, but he was not. Well, he said that last week, uh, pertaining about last year, and he was not six and twelve last year. I think he was three and nine, or three and twelve. So he was terrible, and he started this year with a loss again. And anyway, uh, yeah, we, I called Eric about eleven o'clock in the morning New York time, and we didn't get off the phone until about midnight New York time. I, I think we spent thirteen hours on the phone. Yep, that's my life. 
13 hours on a telephone, and then we Skyped for the past, for the last three hours of that. Didn't we? Yeah, I mean, holy cow, yeah. We're kind of close to you there. <laughs> Understatement of the year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, I'm interested to talk about uh, this triathlon thing and the, the whole Ironman challenge. You realize what it takes to do this? Who, who, I, I couldn't swim for two and a half miles. And I, I love to swim. I, I thought, you know what? Actually, I probably could do that one. Because I, I just love to swim. And swimming to me is so second nature. But <laughs> 112 miles on a bike and an actual true 26.2-mile marathon. Are you out of your mind? Listen, <laughs> swimming for two and a half miles, all right, all right. You know what? Now, that, to realize, you know, you get out of the water, now you got to kind of get yourself ready for a 112-mile bike ride. Now, that's you – know, I want to ask him how long this takes. I mean, how long does it take to swim for, for, for two and a half miles? Have you ever done any marathons at uh, no, all? No, no. Ah, no, I can't. There's no way. Not with my knees. Uh, I, uh, soccer, after I got career and, and when I turned 20 – I, I, that was it for me. I, there was no more. I, I, you know, I, I played softball until I was about 30. But, uh, you know, that's softball. That's someday with a yeah. beer in your hand, you know. <laughs> but, yep. uh, yeah, no way. Uh, marathon, 26 miles. <laughs> what? What yeah. did you say? I mean, that's. I can't believe people do that. Uh, and obviously he's not competing to win this thing. I mean, no, no you don't know that. Oh, we'll, no, have, no, we'll have no. to find out from yeah, him no, because. I think he just wants Say I get it. I, I don't see anybody at seventy-five. Oh, sorry. I, I don't see how anybody at seventy-five with all the training. I mean, he, he, this is only his second one. I could see if someone's been doing this fifteen, twenty times, and they have. I, I, I don't think he's. Do, I, we'll see what he says. Well, I, I don't think that's qualified. He has to win his age group. Yeah, and, he, and that's in okay. Florida, in Panama City. Right. He has to actually qualify for that. So he has to run an Ironman triathlon to. Qualified for the next triathlon. That that's amazing. What I, what he's doing is amazing. I actually yeah, he's actually looks like I we guess have hopefully him. he'll yeah, answer we'll, all of our questions. We'll let him answer our questions himself because we actually have Doctor Bobby Willicks on the line with us right now. Doctor Willicks, how are you? How are you doing, man? Thank you so much I'm for joining good. us. Very good, thank you. Nice. Well, we I don't know if you heard, but we were sitting here kind <laughs> no, of answering back and forth. Up about um, triathlons, and one of the things, you know, the reason why we wanted to talk to you is because at 75 years old, you are actually going into your second triathlon. So let's actually go back a little bit and talk to us a little bit about your first one. Like, who gets it in their mind that says, I want to do all this stuff? At 44. Well, yeah, actually, that's the, the story starts even before that. I was doing heart surgery in South Dakota. I started the first open heart surgery program in the state of South Dakota. I was operating on a guy that was 35 years old, and at the time I was 34. I had been athletic most of my life until I went to medical school, and then from the age of 22 to 34, I kind of became a slug. And something about (laughs) operating on that guy triggered me into saying, if I don't get fit again, I'm going to get sick. And I looked up the average life expectancy of a heart surgeon in 1977, and it was 54 years old, and I was 34. And I said, holy shit, I better do something, and I did. I, I became a vegetarian, and I became fit. And that was the last time I was unfit in my – the only time I was unfit in my life really was from – you know, college to to when I started doing heart surgery in the 70s. And so my journey started then, and I, I ran a bunch of marathons. And in 1981, I saw the Ironman on um, Wide World of Sports. And, you know, if you don't remember that, you probably don't, but <clears> – <throat> There was a there was a actually a woman. we both uh, yeah. do yeah, we, we both, we both okay. do we're both old enough to know this <laughs> so you remember Paula Nuvi Fraser crawling across the finish line oh, and, of course man that 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 was and, like and I I looked at that and I go man that's got to take a lot of courage to do so I really started you know thinking about doing the Ironman in 1981 and then a friend of mine. <clears throat> got accepted in 83 and I trained with him from 83 to 84 and then I got accepted in 84 to go to Hawaii so I 
did the Ironman in Hawaii. And then the following year, I was um, still training and had been invited to go to Auckland, New Zealand to do my second Ironman. But in between 81 and 84, I did a bunch of triathlons. I mean, a bunch. Oh I can't God. tell you how many. <clears throat> um, but because the, the sport really started in 81. I first Ironman done in Florida was the Tin Man, and I did that one in 81. So I did triathlons from 81 to 85, and then I got hit by a car training. I was coming back from a 75-mile bike ride, and a little old lady broke my leg in a couple of places, and I never competed again. So I never got back to competition from 84. And um, a couple of years ago, my son, who's now uh, 50. 51, 52, um, he, um, he has done a bunch of Ironman, and I was at his original Ironman, uh, and I thought, you know what, I need to do this again. So that was, that, that's kind of the, that's the back story about how this all began. And, um, that's amazing. But, you know, it's, it's a very interesting process. You know, I think the most important part about training for the Ironman is the training. Not the event. Yeah, I said that in '84, yeah, and I'll say it again. It's just about the training. It's about, yeah. you know, there's there's a friend of mine that you may or not remember. His name was George Sheehan, who was actually one of the physicians who started the whole running movement in sports medicine back in the '70s, and he handed me a book once called Sun and Steel, which is about a Japanese uh, man who got his body in the best shape as possible. And then committed suicide, which in the Japanese oh. culture is a is you know an honor to be able to have the courage to do that. I'm not committing suicide. I'm just doing the Iron Man. We're glad to hear that, man. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, which which part of it's the toughest part for you? I, I mean, obviously the marathon's pretty damn challenging, uh, <laughs> Doctor Willis. That's challenging. Yeah, 112 I, miles. I, I think the most challenging part for me, and and this is true because I. When I trained in 81, I, I've never been a swimmer, and so swimming's the challenging part for me. Uh, I'm, you know, the bike and the run, I, I don't think I'm going to have a problem with the swimming is the hardest part because, I've, I've ne- you know, I didn't swim in college, and when I trained for the Ironman, I swam at the Hall of Fame pool in Fort Lauderdale, and Jack Nelson, who was a former, one of the former coaches of uh, – one of the Olympic teams back in the sixties, uh, Jack used to call, call me his pet rock mm-hmm. because I, because I sunk like a rock. <laughs> and he'd, say to me, he'd, he'd say to me as I was doing my, my laps, he'd say, Hey Bob, just take the tether off. I go, Jack, I don't have a tether on. I just swim slow. <laughs> so, but I'm getting better. I'm a better swimmer now than I was in 84. <clears throat> which is interesting. Oh yeah, much better swim. So it, much better. If the if the triathlon is coming up, if the uh, the quali- the qualifier comes up in November, okay, all Ironman. Okay. okay, so Ironman uh, Ironman Hawaii is the world championship. You have to qualify right. to get there. To get there, you have to do a sanctioned either half Ironman that's half the distance, or a sanctioned Ironman distance. So you can do it either way, but you have to you have to qualify for for Hawaii, and to qualify, you either have to be first, second, or third in your age group, or if you're in an age group where there aren't that many participants, like I'm sure my age group isn't going to have, uh, you know, 400 people in it, um, you you have to win it to to qualify for Hawaii. And when you get to so you Hawaii, have to be first. Right, Sorry. and when you get to Hawaii, is the plan to win this thing? Because that's what we were talking about before you came on the air. Are you doing this? I just want to ask you in all honesty, are you doing this to, to for you personally, just to say, I got through this, I can do this, and I can still do this? Or are you going out there to actually win this thing, Bob? What, what, what's the plan? You know what? I, no, I, 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 I didn't start the, the venture um, to, to, to say I'm going to win Hawaii. I started the venture to say, I remember the feeling of going across the finish line in Hawaii in 1984 
and hearing right. those words that everybody hears, you know, Bob Willicks, you're an Iron Man, and uh, you know, it changes your life. It, it <laughs> there's there are so many things that happened to you because you did the Iron Man that you cannot imagine the 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 the, the benefits that it does. It it just it first of all it's, it's a mental challenge as much as it is a physical challenge to do that kind of event, any, any endurance event. Um, so it just toughens you mentally, but the rewards that you get from just the words, it, there's something about it that just, it's, it's in your blood. Once you get it and you've done it, I think many, many people never give it up. They want to do it again and again and again. I was lucky <laughs> because actually getting hit by a car I got away from the event. I think had I continued to compete, I would have been trying to win and I would have done all this stuff because I'm a competitive person. Um, but no, I, I don't know about, I haven't thought about winning Hawaii, um, but I, but I definitely want to go back. I, you know, whether it takes yeah. me a year or two, it's just something that gets in your blood. And, you know, I want to hear those words. I'll, you know, I can hear them in Tallahassee. I mean, in in uh, Pensacola. You know, I'll yeah. hear them there. <laughs> but you know, so my goal, my goal actually is to, to train again. And that's really my goal to train again to get okay. to that level of fitness and that level of. I think you know, compete with myself if nothing else, and just. Um, be fit. I mean, I've been fit. I'm not, you know, I've always been fit, but this is a little different, you know, going out every morning and, you know, getting up at five o'clock in the morning and getting on your bicycle or going for a swim or, you know, it takes a lot of time. And, uh, <clears throat> I don't know that it's smart to do, uh, you know, the time, the time it takes, it's, it's hard to have a full-time job. And, you know, in my yeah. case, I, I work long hours and, and I, you know, try to fit it in where I can and I miss training and I don't like that. But um, I, I'm the other reason I'm doing it is I teach, I, I teach health. That's my practice. My practice is I, I think patients, people are just, you know, here's a 75-year-old guy who suddenly decided. I mean, I got patients sending me running shoes <laughs> because I'm competing, making sure – they find out what running shoes I wear and make sure I have a good pair of running shoes for, for the event. And, um, you know, it's motivational for people and that's what I do. I motivate people to get fit and not just get fit, but stay healthy. I, my practice is preventive medicine and that's all I do is teach preventive medicine. I teach a lot of yeah. mind body stuff. And, and so you know, a lot of the patients, um, I'm sure a lot of them will be there, you know, just say, you know, I'm going to come and see, you know, whether you make it or whether you finish or whether you, you know, and that, but really I do it. I'm doing it, you know, kind of cause somebody said to me, why are you doing it? I guess I'm doing it cause I can, you no know, doubt. I, I can. And, uh, you know, and it, I I love training. I love it. I love uh, I love going out with a, you know, finding groups that are, you know, thirty forty years younger than I am, and hanging on on a bicycle or you know training in a pool with guys that are trying to make their first triathlon or you know it's just it's an interesting culture, very interesting. Yeah, it certainly is, and uh, you know you you already have a few books out. Obviously, Maximum Health came out in '94. You have right. a book coming out called the Apollo, the Apollo Factor. I guess you're in the midst of getting that book all together right now. Right, we're uh, we're we're still we've got the book proposal into publishers. I've got an agent in New York, and uh, the Apollo Factor is uh, is my idea about uh, you know how energy, uh, how really you, you ha the Apollo Factor is really about energy. It's about the energy. Uh, how you connect it in the universe and how the energy you have two bodies, a physical body, which obviously you, you take care of, but there's really an energy body that controls everything. And uh, that's what the Apollo factor is about. It's about, you know, how, how you, how you change things epigenetically and how your, you know, how your external environment affects your internal environment. Wow. Okay. 
<laughs> no, it is really deep, and 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 actually can make the difference because you're you're a 75 year old man. By the time you're going to be participating in this other triathlon, you'll be 76. And there are 76-year-olds that I know that can't get off the couch and can't move down the street and can't walk up the stairs. What would you say to them who are listening to to the broadcast and say, you know what, you can go from that to fit? How do they make those first changes? You know, I think it comes down to priorities. Uh, If you sit there and say, I can't, you won't. But if you get up and do anything physically, you'll have amazing results. So what I would say to the 75 or 6-year-old or the 46-year-old that's sitting around is if if you really want to affect your future, and I'm talking about next week and next month, that future, not 16 years from now or 30 years from now, if you really want to affect your future, you need to get fit. Fitness is the is the basis upon which the rest of your health will be dictated. Fit people think differently. They're happier. They eat better. Everything changes when you're fit. So I would tell anybody that's sitting around saying, I can't. You know, if you got a physical limitation, get in the water. Get in a swimming pool. You can exercise mm-hmm. in a pool. Almost anybody can. Um, I, you know, if you were ever an athlete, don't give up the idea that you can't bring that athlete back out. The athlete is there. Just bring it back out. And if you never were an athlete, become one. Because Fine. really, re- really, your, ener- your, your physical body, your energy is dictated by your fitness level. The, f- the more fit you are, the more energy you have. And the more energy you have, the more the, – the, the better your brain works. The better your brain works, the more motivation things, you know, you'll, you'll start thinking about other people instead of yourself all the time. So I I don't, I I think priority is fitness is the basis upon which health is developed and other things occur because you're fit. You stop smoking, you stop drinking. I mean, I haven't had a drink in 15 years because when they drink, beer or wine or scotch the next day you can't train you just cannot do it and it, and I don't care how old you are anybody that trains on a regular basis will tell you it always affects your training and you know so you know my priority is to stay as healthy as I can until the lights go out my dad died <laughs> at the age of 86 and he and I ran uh, I ran my first marathon with my father when my father was 64. Wow. And he beat me by 8 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And wow. and you That's know people lot. have said well maybe this is about genetics it isn't genetics it's about you know that was a gift that he gave me to always you know he was he was always active he always you know, he he rode a bike, or he went for a run, or he played baseball, or and my, you know, I've got a grandson that's 22 years old now, and he's done his first Ironman. It's a it's a legacy that occurs because of who you, you know, it's a, it motivates people under, with that you live with, that you're around. It you know, it just it changes your mental attitude. I. My mental attitude right now at the age of 75 is no different than it was when I was 25. I really don't think it's any different. I think you just stay stay alert and clear, and I think it all has to do with carrying enough oxygen to all your tissues, and that's what fitness does. So for the guy who's sitting in a, on the couch, get up and move. And don't try, <laughs> don't try, because when you say, I'm going to try to do something, that me, that's inertia. You know, try to pick up a pen. You're either going to pick it up or you're not going to pick it up. But don't try to pick it up because you can't try to pick it up. So, yep. And it's funny because it. I, you know, I'm I'm 51 and I have no problem saying that. And I went through this whole thing with my class, um, my class from high school, who last year everybody turned 50, and it was like, oh my God, we're so old, we're so old. And I was like, look, take it somewhere else because I don't feel old and I don't right. want to be told I'm old 
and I don't want my body to think it's old. So it drove me nuts to sit and listen to 50-year-old people say, oh, man, we're getting so old. You know, it's like I, that's exactly what I said to them because the mentality is everything. Yeah, my bones hurt, but, geez, my bones hurt when they were, I was in my 30s too, you know. Who cares? Sure. You know, it really is meant a whole mental thing that you control kind of how your body responds to things, totally. and, and you're a tremendous example of what you can do when you put your mind to it. So thank you very much for that. No, listen, I it's it's an honor to, you know, I, I think it's a gift to be able to do it. And so why would you throw the gift away? You know, just do it. And, you exactly. know, I, I don't, you know, I don't think the Iron Man is that big a deal. I think it's just mm-hmm. whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a two mile walk for breast cancer or, you know, to raise money for battered women or whatever it is, it's just uh, a way of life, and you you can do it. You can do something, and it, it the benefits to you are always re, you know greater than they are, you know, than you ever imagined. I you know I hear people Absolutely. all the time telling me how much better they feel because they've been exercising. So, yes. uh, mm-hmm. you know, set That's goals. Good. I think you know men. I think in particular, men need to set goals. You know, we. You know, and, and in today's world, I love the fact that when you go to the gym, you see as many women, if not more women, than you see men. So I think women are definitely, you know, we we had as many gold medals in the Olympics. Women had as many gold medals as men did, and that's a great accomplishment, mm-hmm. a great a great yep. change in our culture, in in who we are. You know, when when you go on a bike ride with a group of people on a 50 mile bike ride, there are a lot of powerful young girls out there beating your butt. That's all I got to say. And that's, that's great. That's right. Baby. When, when I started, when I started training again, you know, I used to come back and say to my wife, she said, how was your bike ride? I go, well, you know, I think a little old lady with a bell and a basket went by me, but other than that, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> good for that woman on the That's right. Good for that's what I said. Good for her, you know. And doctor, before before we let you go, I want to ask you, and this is kind of a, a side thing. Has anybody ever told you you look like Joe Weeder? Do you know who he is? I do know Joe. Yes. Uh, actually, they tell me I look more like the Hulk than Joe Weeder. <laughs> Good answer. I I went into uh I in fact I was somewhere a month ago and somebody said, Oh my god, are you the Hulk? <laughs> so I've been told that I, I do know Joe and Joe uh yeah, I guess we do have similar uh, similar <laughs> It's the it must be the mustache thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've I grew this mustache when I the the Day I graduated from medical school. Wow, that was, that was wow. when I grew it, and I've—it's kind of everybody recognizes me by my mustache, pretty much. You know, they—if they see me on a, <laughs> on a run, they go, you know, it's always, "Hey, Doc, how you doing?" I saw you running with mm-hmm. your mustache. You know, actually, I think my mustache does most of the work. <laughs> I think I think the mustache has some motivator in it. You know, keeps my yeah, legs moving. It's like- it's yeah, like the guy yeah. with the hair, you know. The, yeah. I can't remember who it was, but, you know, the guy with the hair, you George with the mustache. But, Doctor, we want to thank you so much for, for coming by for us on Sports Palooza Radio and bringing us your story. We want to wish you the best of luck in your upcoming thank you. Um, you know, triathlon. Thanks, I really appreciate and hopefully you will make it, and, uh, let, and I'm, we're sure you will. Yeah, beat, your, beat your dad's time by eight minutes, man. That would be great. <laughs> okay.
right. You heard it here, folks. That's right. Um, before I yeah. forget, I want to actually tell you that um, Dr. Willick's uh, website is elmedicine.com, uh, where you can check out his um, books and videos and other things that he has going on. And, um, you know, so we want to thank him for coming with us, but coming uh, to visit with us. Yeah. But before we get on to, to the next thing, I just want to say something. You know, earlier in, in our season um, last year, I talked about wanting to see that movie, Eddie the Eagle. And I didn't get a chance to actually see it in the theaters. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because, uh, you know, Dr. talked about mentality and doing something you want to do. And I have to tell you, I saw it this past weekend, finally. And it was fantastic. And I know that some of the stuff from a factual standpoint was a little different. Um, I, I read from what actually happened. But for those of you that don't know, Eddie Edwards, is um, was his name is Michael Edwards, but he was called Eddie. He decided to become the first British Olympic ski jumper. And he just took off. And he was just like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. And um he did it, and it, the movie is absolutely fantastic. I laughed, and I was—I found myself rooting for him during the movie. But he had that mentality of nothing is going to stop me, and that's what the doctor was talking about. Unfortunately, I just read a, a sadder story that he's not doing too well financially right now thanks to a divorce, and hopefully that will turn around for him. So if you saw that in the news over the last couple of days, that is the Eddie from Eddie the Eagle. Uh, so hopefully he'll pull his life around again. If he did it once and he did achieve what he wanted to achieve, hopefully he can do it again. But check out that movie. You want to talk about inspiration and motivation? It was fantastic. So on that note, um, we're going to actually move on to, uh, once again, go back to football. And we had a chance, I mentioned earlier, Mac Engel, who was the author of uh, Pigskin Rapture, Four Days in the Life of Texas Football. And we're going to talk to him about his books and his travels, and we will bring you that interview now. All right. Well, our guest this week is Mac Engel, author of Pigskin Rapture, Four Days in the Life of Texas Football, if you all mentioned at the top of the show here. My goodness. Mac Engel is on the line with us now. Mac, what's happening, man? How are you doing? This is a phenomenal book, man. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it, too. Uh, I, wow. I'm really happy with what I did. This is uh, my fourth book, and by far and away, uh, you know, I've I'm really pleased with this. I know a lot of people, when they do these things, they say, oh, it's so great, it's amazing, it's going to change your life. Uh, I'm really happy with what we did. I'm happy with what we found. Uh, I'm happy how cooperative people were with me, how generally happy they were to uh, collaborate with me and tell the story about the importance of uh, of football in Texas. And the the photographer who worked with me, Mr. Ron Jenkins, did a spectacular job. And, of course, uh, I need to thank Troy Aikman, the Hall of Fame quarterback, for providing the forward, for graciously providing his services. And I think the collaborative effort is terrific. I'm really proud of it. Yeah, yeah we think <laughs> yeah, we think so, too. I mean, for, for the uh, listeners out there, I mean, this is really an oversized, it's almost like a coffee table book yeah. where if you are a football fan, you don't even have to just be a Texas fan. I mean, if you're a football fan, you're going to love the story behind this. Yeah. So my first question is very simple, Matt. <laughs> Why? Why did you uh, set out to do four days? First four of all, I, four games, you know, and I'm going to tell you, man, I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> football fan. It's awesome. We're going to talk. If, if EJ settles down, we're going to talk about this later. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, why did you set out to do this? I mean, where did the whole idea come from? Um, money. That's why I did it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I could lie. The uh, – a publisher called me, and uh, he was out of Denver at the time, uh, and, and now he works out of Connecticut, I believe. And he had this—it was his idea. Uh, I, I don't want to—I'd love to take credit for the concept because the concept is what is so terrific. He had an idea of wanting to do four days, four games in four days, and uh, you know, honestly, I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could sit here and make things up that would make it sound better than than it is. The reality is publisher called me and said, I've got this idea. Would you be interested? And I said, hell yeah. And uh, it, I thought it sounded neat. It sounded fun. But what was so special about it was the publisher didn't even know who I was, really. I mean, I guess he kind of looked at my work a little bit. I had written a few books, and I've been doing this a long time. But to entrust me for something like this when he really didn't know me was a tremendous leap of faith. Uh, and, and because he really gave me carte blanche to do what I wanted creatively. And, and initially it was going to be the idea of 
I was just going to do stuff at the games. And then when I landed in Houston, I thought, you know, because Houston is where I started uh, on October 8th last year, and I thought, you know what, to hell with it. We're just going to run around and cover as much ground as I can before kickoff between the Colts and the Texans. We're going to go everywhere. And my photographer, Ron Jenkins, was totally supportive and terrific, and we just kept finding things. We just kept finding football. We kept finding life. We kept finding culture that was affected by football. We just kept finding all these great anecdotes on the first day. And it kept getting better. You know, Houston, the going into the Astrodome, which was illegal, I snuck in, was such a neat experience because I didn't expect it. We're going on type of Rice Stadium. I mean, nobody, nobody knows that Rice is the first stadium in Texas that held the Super Bowl. And yeah. uh, it's, it's a totally throwback stadium. But there were so many things that I found just in day one that I wasn't prepared for. And really, the story wrote itself. I mean, there was a lot of challenges in terms of not sleeping very much and go, 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 and the logistics of it. But in terms of creatively, man, everything I found was just great. And, and, and I know a lot of times when people do books, and certainly when I've done it, when they do creative endeavors, you always kick yourself. You always say, gosh, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. And on this one, when I went back and I looked through it again, there wasn't very much I thought, boy, I wish I had done this. I mean, just a little bit. For the most part, though, I was really, really happy with the end result. Yeah, man. You know, and it's cool in the first chapter. You know, you you think you're going to be getting right into it, but you, you did a pretty good job of covering all these different high school and, and all these venues in your first chapter, of different places all around Texas where you can go from the field house and, oh, my God, Stallworth and Stratford. I mean, you had a ton of different stadiums in here. What made you decide to, like, really point out all these cool places in Texas where people play football, man? It was pretty cool. Um, because I, I wanted to illustrate that. Uh, the, the thought was what I wanted to find was, Outside of the state, everybody associates Texas with football. And there is, and I oh, yeah. grew up in Indiana. I've, I've lived here for, I lived in Texas for 20 years, but I grew up in Indiana where obviously basketball is mythic proportions, no different than Texas. And what I really wanted to find and set out to find was does Texas football meet the hype? Because it's one thing if you see it in an isolated instance on an October Saturday. And then you don't think about it for another couple of weeks. But when you stack it up and you go from place to place to place to place like I did, it was mind-numbing because you just saw how big it was, how constant it was, and how many resources, how much money is dedicated to this. It's a priority down here. It matters here. It's a currency here. (laughs) And so what I found going to all these different places, whether it was high school, I wanted to see it if it is as big as its reputation. And quite frankly, it's bigger. <laughs> yeah, man, there's nothing small about Texas football. I mean, let's talk about the trip, man. I mean, obviously, it's, it's hard to get this trip together. You've got to find the best four games that you can find that will actually, you know, keep people interested and have it be a game worth talking about. And you end up playing the Colts and the Texans, Texas versus Oklahoma and the State Fair of Texas going on. That, that, that alone is crazy, man. But the Midland League, oh, that's a Permian high school match, man. That's a serious football game. And at that time, you know, twice, a year ago, those two were on top of the world, man. So to, to, to find Midland Lee and Odessa Permian, and that, that ended up being the toughest thing to do. I want to, talk, I want to talk about how you put together the four days, man, because finding four successive days like that had to be you know, a little bit of a tribulation, finding which of these four can we actually pick out and make it to. You know, it's not just about picking out the venues. you got to make it there too, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, and that was the hard part because we knew there was going to be we knew somebody was going to have to be cut because yep. we had to include the Cowboys. We had to include oh, the yeah. Texans in, in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to include a big high school game and certainly Odessa Permian because it's the original home of Friday Night Lights, the best-selling book written by Bus Bissinger in 1988. We wanted to include them. We could. The problem was who were we going to cut? Baylor was having, Baylor's been having great seasons, but they were out yeah. of state. That that was one we had to cut for for no other reason. They were just they they were gone, um, and, and Texas A and M was the one we really wanted to include it, but they had a bye that week, and and they were playing the next week against Alabama, which if somehow they had oh. played that same day, we thought about what we were going to do was we'll stay for halftime and then drive to another place, whether it's Austin or College Station or wherever else. It just didn't work. So instead, what we got was probably the biggest 
I shouldn't say probably, it is. It's the biggest in-state game that, that because Texas A&M no longer plays Texas, and that's the University of Oklahoma against UT. So we caught that one, and obviously we caught you know, the Colts and Texans. That's, the, the Texans really haven't established their identity outside of the greater Houston area yet because they haven't won. Yeah. Uh, but, but Permian we really wanted because Permian is probably the single most recognized name brand in high school football in the nation because of the book, because of the movie, because of the TV show, and we wanted to include it. And fortunately, I knew a lot of the backstory beyond the book because I had gone there 15 years ago to see how much the town had changed because of that book. And then just, you know, I, I, I had I've lived here for 20 years, so I know, I know enough about Texas and then how it's evolved to know that life isn't the same out in West Texas as it was when Buzz Bissinger to, went out there to write that book and chronicle that 1987 season. It was just different. So that's how we found it. And then logistically, we got a little lucky. You know, it was we could go into Houston on Wednesday and then start our day, the crack of dawn, literally, on Thursday. So that was fine. There was two things in it that, that needed to go right. One, we had to get up the next morning early to catch a flight to Midland, and there had been rain there. And normally in Texas, if there's rain, the world just stops. But we got lucky. <laughs> the rain passed on, and we made it on time. And then and then after the uh, that night, Friday night, we were going to drive through the night to Fort Worth, which is about a four-and-a-half-hour drive. And we were all very, very tired. We were like, we got it. We can do it. We can do it. And we made it. And then we got up the next morning at about, because kickoff between Texas and Oklahoma is 11 a.m., and the game is at the state fairgrounds in, T- in Dallas, which has notoriously horrendous traffic. So we got about three or four hours of sleep in consecutive nights. And once we got to the Texas OU game, logistically everything was fine because everything else was going to be in, in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And that's how we were able to pull it off. We got lucky, uh, and I thought, and I knew we were going to have to be lucky in order to pull it off, but it worked out. Yeah, man. You know, you have a cool picture of the Astrodome here, except it's gloomy and black and white and dark. And I think everybody remembers Katrina when, you know, that, that how many people were put in that place to try to help with all that. And, man, the Astrodome, you, how bad do you feel about it? It just sits there, man. And, and, and secondly, how the hell did you get in there, dude? Because that place is not – you're not allowed in there, man. How did you get in there and get those pictures? I, that's pretty cool, man, even though you – I'm just – I feel bad that the Houston Astrodome was portrayed – and this dark, gloomy, like nothing's going on there, and it's obviously right across the street from NRG, and people just stare at it going, what are we doing with this thing? What are they doing with this thing, Max? Why are they still sitting there? Why don't they just tear that shit down, man? Because it doesn't belong there. <laughs> it doesn't. Because it, it's sentimental. And I, you know, the best way yeah. I can, and there's not many, I mean, people, Houston just hasn't been able to make up its mind what it wants to do with it. And when I snuck yeah. in, I totally, I, and I snuck in, I just pushed on a door and it opened. I, I didn't, <laughs> and it, there's, there's one picture you can see that I took from inside of it, but I, yeah. I it was lucky. And then, and, and I know I shouldn't have been inside of it, but I, I know people have snuck in there before and I didn't anticipate getting in there, but it, it is sad. <laughs> it is sad because when you walk inside of it, it's a time warp. And it, yeah. there's not many of those things left anymore. Like Yankee Stadium has been torn down. And, you know, all those places from our childhood, whether it's Candlestick Park or Texas Stadium with a hole in the roof, those are all gone. But this place is still up. And the city just hasn't been able to let go. I mean, it's a yeah. warehouse. It's a dump, I mean, it's a dump. But it, it, when you say it's sort of dark and gray and groomy, well, it is. I mean, it's, it's a glorified warehouse. And I know there have been all these plans and proposals about turning into mixed-use development and a giant indoor park, it would cost a fortune. It's going to cost a fortune to demo it, but they haven't been able to let it go, and it was neat to walk into it. That was a really cool part of that, to, to be able to start that book there uh, and then to end it at AT&T Stadium, which is now the modern-day Astrodome, was kind of a, yeah. a good bookend way to, to start it and finish it. Yeah, man. No doubt about it. And you, you, know, you had Ron Jenkins with you, and his assistant was also helping you. It was just you guys. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Some of these pictures, are, some of these pictures, Mac, are unbelievable, man. <laughs> I mean, just great They're shots. Great. Did you do any video? Did you do any video along the way? I mean, obviously, you, you know, know, I, the they pictures, did. You actually. have a story. Any video? They did. It's funny you should say that. I, I'm, I'm glad you reminded me because uh, the, the assist Ron Ron brought an assistant along with him, a, a Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph, former photographer of the Dallas Morning News, and he shot a ton of video. 
And I don't know what they did with it. I, I don't never. I, I didn't shoot it. I was so preoccupied with, um, you know, Ron, bless his heart, was very deferential to me. And he, he said, wherever you want to go, I'm there. And I have a great, a far greater appreciation for photographers, which was already pretty high than I do, uh, than I did even pre before, because, you know, we, we see a picture sometimes and we take pictures with our phones or our personal cameras or whatever else. And they're good in their own way because the technology has got idiot proof, but you still need a professional eye. There is a professional <laughs> eye. There is an art to it. There is a technique to it that amateurs don't possess. And I, I have a greater appreciation for what Ron was able to do because I spent four days in it with him and I saw what he did. And, you know, I, there was a, we were out in West Texas and I desperately wanted a short shot uh, of an oil derrick, like a pump. And, they're out in West Texas. They're everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. And I, I yeah. kept, we kept passing them, kept passing them and passing them and passing them. And I'd be like, and finally I just said, Ron, what the hell is wrong? Just take a picture of it. He said, it's not the shot that I want. And I said, well, what is wrong with it? And he explained it to me. He said, it's not a clean shot. And sure enough, he walked me right through it. And then when he found it, he found it. And the difference between the Ron Jenkins picking out the photograph that was clean and the one that he wanted and the one that I thought was good enough was staggering, and thank God he was there with me to 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 correct my my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. I I have I have a daughter who's studying photography, yeah. so I I see um I, I see the same thing. I mean, even at only 19 years old, she's already like, Mom, this has too much of this color, or that color. I'm like, where? I don't see it. What do you see? Yeah. You, you, know, you but... don't see it until they take it, and once they take it, then you see it. Exactly, exactly. Um, a couple of things for me. Um, first of all, I love the travel logs that you put in. Yeah, so there's yeah. like sidebars that talk about some of the other things that you're going through beyond the game. And the first, uh, one of the ones that I like is the travel log the day two because you actually go into how how exhausted you are. Yeah, yeah and, and <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's I, I love that part, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> but. One thing that I learned in in reading these sidebars is that it, it's not just about the game. I mean, what this this book, if anybody's going to pick this book up and think that it's just going to be this play-by-play of the games that you saw are yeah. sadly mistaken it's because <laughs> it's the people, it's the food, it's the cheerleaders, it's the traditions, it's the venue. Did anything, like, surprise you in, in writing this that you when you went out you were like, you know, I really didn't think we'd come across this? I think what's yeah there was there's a couple um, there's a couple I, I there, there were a few things I don't know if you if you came across it but we were we were in a part of Houston um, that wasn't a great part of town it, was, it wasn't that far from the Astrodome and uh, I, we were looking around for I don't even remember what we were looking around for but out of nowhere we see this park and you can tell this is not a good area like two blocks away or two blocks away there's an apartment complex. With, that has uh, that that's, that has a wall around it with barbed wire on top of it, and it's just the reality of it. I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just telling you that's what happened. And about three or four yeah. blocks away from it was this park that was empty, but it was a pretty two pristine football fields with immaculate yellow goalposts. And right there, in front of it, was a homeless guy who was taking a hit off what appeared to be a crack pipe, and he was yeah, yeah. sitting. He was sitting in a, um, a grocery cart, and uh, I wanted we took a and picture I, I knew, of him. Yeah, we took a picture of him. We gave him five bucks to do it, and um, we were kind of, we were talking to him, and he was mostly mostly incoherent. But that one, it was just sad. And it's not just that's not just a Houston thing. It's not just a Texas thing. That's an America thing. That one really stayed with us, and you know, it, it, we kind of got out of there right at the right time. There were some other fellows that came up that wanted to talk, and we were like, and, and Ron had some really expensive equipment with him. We were like, we got to get the hell out of here. Um, and I, I just, your heart broke. This guy's mentally ill, and it just made you sad. And and you're like, well, what? And it makes you question, like, what's what's the priority here? Is, is the priority this person or is the priority this football field and yellow goalposts? And we all know the answer to that. And it's not, I'm not trying to sound like some high-minded snob academic, but it's just, it reminds you like there, there's other stuff going on here. And um, that one, that one kind of really knocked me down a little bit. Yeah. And then the other, the other one was, you know, we talk and I know in sports talk radio, we do it all the time too. 
we often highlight a person's flaws, their shortcomings, the fact that they don't win the Super Bowl every year, the fact that they don't have a home run every time at the plate, the fact that they don't bat 300, the fact they don't score 50 goals, and they don't work, meet the contract. We do that all the time. I'm guilty of it. The sports columnist, uh, that's part of your job, is to sit there and constantly judge and judge and judge and tell people why these other guys have, are, you know, their other shortcomings. And when I did this in four days, I'm telling you, I was reminded just how great people are. And I know that sounds corny, and I know that sounds really hokey, but I could not tell you how wonderful people were when I showed up. I mean, I just walked into the cheerleading spirit room at the University of Houston right before their game. And the girl's like, yeah, she had her curling iron in her hair. She's like, yeah, give me five minutes. She came out and she did a stunt and she and I talked. She's she so sweet and everybody there was just great. And they just, they let me in. And, it's, and I know it's hokey, but I was reminded. And, and the, co- the people out in West Texas at Permian and at Midland, and the coaches seven hours from kickoff, and he let me walk in and we just chatted with this old man who's a big fan or going out to Stanton, Texas. And, you know, they were, they were great. And, and even at the Cotton Bowl, when I went to the Texas-Oklahoma game, I just walked on the field. I know my credential wasn't allowed it, but I just walked on the field. I'm okay, I'm just going to do this and act the part. So whether it was the restaurants and certainly the restaurant out in Midland Odessa, Katie's Barbecue, and I get to meet the owner named Dwight Freeman, the bushy mustache and your typical West Texas draw, I really was reminded by the end of it. Whatever we think about sports and how dark it can be and money-driven it can be, and it can be about greed and avarice, which just kill people for their failures and whatever else, by the end of that, I was reminded from day one to the end of day four, that people can be really great, really wonderful, and incredibly giving. You'd be surprised, right? I mean, especially when you start thinking, oh, boy, everyone's just going to – this could turn out negative. Everyone's going to be like, why are you doing this? But instead, everyone shows up and says, I love what you're doing. We completely support what you're doing. And please come over here, take pictures with us, and do this, that, and the other thing. And you get surprised by it. It is cool when people do surprise you for the better, man, because like you said – there's so much stuff that goes on in this world that people really would rather even not even hear about half the time. So, you know, it's cool when you get to experience something like that and talk about it in, in a light like that. Because a lot of people you know, have bad experiences with books and have bad experiences with people when they go places they're not accepted. And cool to hear you got treated that well, man. That's, that's very cool. Well, I mean, they did it. And, and I came in. <laughs> it's funny. If you read the book and you see the timeline, you would say, wow, man. This guy really mapped it out. He really planned it, and he had everything down, you know, to the letter. If you read it and you look at the timeline, especially how compact everything was, you would you would draw that conclusion. When in reality, I had a rough estimation, but really what it relied on was we're going to hit the ground and we are going to go until we're going to go until Sunday night hits, and we're going to go everywhere. <laughs> and that's really how it went. That's really how it went. I wish, I wish I could sit here and lie to you and be like, "Yeah, man, I planned it all out, and this is what I was going to do." And I, yeah, I did a little bit of that, but not nearly the way it worked out. <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah, no, isn't that great? It is. I mean, I wish I, mean, I, I, wish I could lie to you. I wish I could lie to you. I'm like, oh man, I was all over. That was Mr. Planet. <laughs> oh, it's great, and I studied for the exam. No, nope. I mean, I did a little bit of it, but what I ended up with makes it look like wow. Matt, great job. You must have prepped for that for months. Yeah, sure, right. I did teach. No, I just worked, yeah. we just worked our butt off and, and ran around like chickens with their head cut off. After it was done, Max, did you look back at it and say, all right, now the real work has to get done here because, you know, we've already covered the events. Now we have to put this all together to make sure it's a, in a book and it's in the proper format and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we obviously are satisfied with the trip. The trip was awesome, man. But you know, how, much t- how tough was it? Was All right, well, now Sunday night's here. We've done all four of these games. Now the process really starts. I mean, is it that, is that would that would take some time too, man. It was. And, uh, you know, I've, I've written three other books before, so I, I, knew how, I knew how the process goes, but I knew on this one because what I had done was uh, I had written everything down in a notebook, uh, one notebook per day. So I had a notebook for Thursday and a notebook for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, but I also knew that, um, and, and reporters and writers and stuff like this, know this, you need to do it right away. If you've written yeah. shorthand or whatever else, you've got to go look at it right away and get it down because if not, you're going you're gonna to forget. And you know, even though we had a 1,000 pictures and all this other stuff, 
I knew I had to sit mm-hmm. down right away and, and at least put down a, a rough draft or something. And, but really what I did was I was kicking around how I was going to do it, and then I thought, you know what, the best way to do this, the best format to do it is to describe it like a clock. And I thought it flowed better that way. And what I did, I mean, you're right, though. I mean, one Sunday, it'd be like, oh, great, I'm done. Well, no, you're not. And uh, <laughs> so I gave it like, um, I think I only gave it a couple of days. And uh, then I sat down. That was in October, and I think I had to be done by the end of January. I'm not, not 100% sure about that, but I, I really liked doing it. And I know you guys, when you do some something creatively, it's kind of a hit or miss, and sometimes you, you, you do things and you feel good about it, but you know you know deep down maybe it's not going to have a huge appeal. This one, when I was done, and I, I shouldn't even say that, I knew right away. I knew right away what I had done was good, and I knew right away what I had done, what I had was great. And then when I put it down, and then when they sent me the, uh, the photographs that Ron had taken, I was, just, I was ecstatic because yeah. – I, I this is why I wanted to do this job and, and then I saw it and I was like, Man, this is this is really good and you know, Troy Aikman was nice enough to, to give me to, to give me a forward and uh, I'm very excited about, you know, sharing that with him and uh the, the Jones family, Jerry Jones and his family, they all want a copy. They were very nice enough to, to let Ron Jenkins, the photographer, in his suite, in Jerry's suite and, and more specifically in Jerry's personal suite on top is they call it the Jerry's Perch. Um, the cheerleaders were great. The teams, everybody was. So by the end of it, I thought I had created something with Ron and everybody else in the publisher that everybody who was in it and who was a part of it associated with it, and I think they are. Yeah, That's awesome. And Yep, and with college football starting and the whole football season starting and the holiday shopping season starting because it is September, you know, there's your book, people. So it's Pigskin Rapture, Four Days in the Life of Texas Football, and it's written by Mac Engel and photos by Ron Jenkins. We could talk for another hour about all the stuff that's going on at at each event. I mean, Mac, we could sit here and talk to you for days, man. You have a lot of information here. We didn't really get to talk to you about all the stuff you did at each event, man, which is cool. And you have a ton of pictures in here. I mean, you, oh, my God, the Oklahoma. 1955, man. Uh, Smokey the Cannon. That, that's the coolest thing ever. To even, <laughs> I mean, that's just cool stuff, man. You have some great, great photos in here. I mean, Coffee Table is yeah. really the right word. It's, it's a great book, man. I think you did a fantastic job. Thank you very, very much. I sincerely appreciate it. That's cool, man. Great. Mac, thank you yeah, so, much so much for much. coming on the show, and hopefully we'll have you on again down the road. But you guys, you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Great. Thanks Guys, a lot, Matt. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Take care. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so cool. I mean, this book is cool. I, you know, we, we obviously read Everyone knows that we read all these books. And I mean, the pictures alone are unbelievable. I mean, everything from the marching bands to the sidelines to plays. To, I mean, how they got some of these pictures. And like you said, with Mac letting, uh, them letting Ron out all over the place to get some of these pictures is just Man, I can't believe he snuck into the Astrodome. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's just cool, you know? Yeah, very good mm-hmm. stuff. So I, we certainly appreciate it. And, uh... yeah. I, just, I still can't get over the fact that he actually went into, into, their, into the Astrodome when it was shut down and uh, snuck a picture in there. And I, uh, <laughs> even the explanation, please, please don't go to the Astrodome and break in there because you heard that he can do it. <laughs> that's all we ask. Uh, just, just yeah. please don't go in there and think of it. Uh, well, Mac did it, so I could do it. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Maybe there might be extra security at this. I'm sure by now there is. I'm sure after yeah. this broadcast, yeah, out no, that's awesome. Yeah, we appreciate Mac so much. Uh, Mac Engel's book is phenomenal, man. Uh, of course, Doctor Willard stopping by too. He, he is great. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's two great stories, a great book and a great story, uh, and it's, it's, we have so much fun with this stuff. I, I love, it. I love. We it. do. And next week, uh, we actually have another author coming on who wrote the book "Disco Demolition: The Night That Disco Died." <laughs> and th- you want to talk a great story? This is a fan event gone wrong. <laughs> 
so very wrong. And I didn't know anything about this because this actually, I think this happened in 1979. And um, I was 14, but I really wasn't kind of paying attention to all this stuff. And, of course, back then you didn't have the Internet. So if something was happening in Chicago, it took weeks to get us to New York, you know, unless you read it in the paper or something. Yeah, I had a newspaper. That was your only source back then or a phone call. Nobody was calling me, you know, what was going on in Chicago. Hey, Jay, what's going on in Chicago? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yep. and and the interesting thing behind this book is that, um, or this event is that it, it happened at Comiskey Park, and what it was, it was an event that was meant to boost fan attendance, and it was, you know, they were going to talk about disco, and it was supposed to be kind of, you know, this whole event where where <laughs> I don't even, I don't even I'm not even going to do this justice. I want you guys to tune in next week because yeah. what I'm going to leave you with is it was a double header. Yeah. And the event actually ended up canceling the second game. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we're gonna have a lot of fun with this. Yeah. The um, the author of the book, Steve Bell, um, and journalist Dave, I think it's pronounced Holstra, and photographer Paul Natkin put this book together. And I love the book. Where, where is it? Do we have a copy of it here? Well, that's a stupid question. Of course we do. Okay, good. I mean, I, 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 I haven't even seen it yet. I, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, wow, we have a week to do this. Yep. Yep. Let's go get that book. Uh, we will go get that book. Right. We will get out of here and get that book. And I've read it. Now it's time for him. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know we got it. That's cool. So, yeah, I'll, obviously I'll be reading that. You know me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love reading the books that people send us. This is, yep. yeah, I almost feel like a book critic half the time. We, we, you we, are. We really do read these books. I mean, I, I wonder if people actually think, ah, they're just taking stuff. No, no. We, we read these books. I yeah, mean, we do. You can't be stupid. Yeah, you know, the last thing you want to do is have somebody go on your show. Well, so how come you've made the book, sir? You know, shut up. We, we have more fun than that around here. <laughs> You're telling a lot of people yeah. to shut up today. Yeah, shut, shut up. up That's right. Shut up. shut up if you can't get off the couch. So on that note, we're going <laughs> to shut up and wait until next week's show to talk some more. Sorry. So please follow us on Palooza Rate at Palooza Radio on Twitter and uh, let us know what you think of the show. And thanks so much for joining us today. Right. It's time for us to shut up. So bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>